If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Good evening and welcome to Love and Respect. I'm Michael Render. Tonight, a conversation with NBA legend Dominique Wilkins. During his brilliant career with the Atlanta Hawks, Wilkins was one of the most electric players of a generation. The basketball legend tonight on his life, career, and the state of the NBA as we kick off a new season. Also tonight, from the Emory School of Medicine, Dr. Kimberly Manning, with an update on vaccines and what we can all do to stay healthy and safe. Thanks for joining us. Dominique Wilkins and Dr. Kimberly Manning coming up right now. Welcome to Love and Respect, man. I am here with someone I truly love and respect. Neat, Dominique Wilkins, one of the greatest players in the game and one of the greatest Atlanta Hawks ever. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you, man. You know, I've always Appreciate been a fan you. of yours as well, man. You know, now I feel like we go back a long way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, get the, I get the text and talk yeah. to my hero whenever yeah, I want yeah. to. That's pretty That's cool. right, yeah. That's, and it's nice to kind of reach out to people you admire, you know, and become like a family. So thank you, man. I appreciate you. You've, you've called me out a few times in terms of helping out around stuff around Atlanta. We're going to talk about mm -hmm. that a little later to help the community. I appreciate that. But I want to take it back to, say, like 85, 86, 87, 88. Mm -hmm. Fifth grade through like sixth, seventh grade with me. I'm from uh, west side of Atlanta, enclave called Collier Heights in Adamsville. Mm -hmm. One of the most famous state coaches here coached at Douglas High School. His name was Donald Dollar. His son, Cameron Dollar, who won the 1995 NCAA championships mm -hmm. with NCAA, uh, with the NCAA, with UCLA Bruins, he was one of my friends and rivals in elementary school. Mm -hmm. He took basketball far too seriously, and I took rap far too seriously. He let me know, <laughs> right, you right. ain't going to be no basketball player, and I let him know you ain't going to be a rapper. Right. But we both, as much as we argued, agree on one thing. The greatest player in our city was Dominique Wilkins. And I remember celebrating when you won a slam dunk contest. I remember crying when I felt like you got yeah, robbed yeah. of one. Um, and I remember when a list came out, you were on top 50, everybody in my class that were, we were adults by the end of the What does it feel like um, to have been snubbed off a list that even players such as Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, who was a fierce rival of yours, Danny Ainge, who actually hated you, um, said you should have been in the top 25, not even just the top 50. What did that feel like, and how have you persevered through that snubbing? Well, it, it just goes to show that politics exists in every form of life, mm -hmm. you know. And at the time that uh, the top 50 list came out, I was the seventh all-time leading scorer in NBA history. Yeah. And I'm like, look, you know, I'm not one who talks about himself, but you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, I mean, how could that be? And I'm looking at the list, and I'm like, you know, look, I don't discredit anybody, but you can't tell me guys like myself and Bob McAdoo, who's a two-time MVP. Yeah. Don't make the list. It's, yeah. it's, it was just mind-blowing to me. The two things in Atlanta that were just bad for Atlanta that were white were crack cocaine and Larry Bird. They were just not good for, for my city. But he was one of your biggest rivals. Man, you thought that you should have been on that list that you should. But yeah. what was it like playing against Bird, and what was that game seven like where it was the two-point loss? Because we were all on the edge you know, of our seat. 13 years of playing against Larry, you understand, we never shook hands. We never talked. We never spoke to each other. It was an unwritten kind of rule. You know, great players didn't want you to get that close to them. And so he didn't 
like me, I didn't like him at that time. But when I think about it years later, it was just about the respect that we had for one another. We just didn't want to get that close. Mm -hmm. Larry Bird is one of the most fierce competitors I've ever played against. I remember game seven. And we should have won in game six. So we go to Boston, but they had a headline that Larry Bird predicted that they were going to win, you know, and go on to the Eastern Conference Finals. And so I remember coming out of the locker room, and I stopped. And I said, we're going to win this bleak, bleak game. I said, if you ain't ready to fight, you ain't ready to go to war, don't come out. I said, whoever guarding me tonight going to have a long night. Unfortunately, Larry Bird was telling his teammates to the other end. So it's set up for one of the most it, – it's considered the greatest shootout in seventh game history, you know, with two guys who didn't want to lose, try to will their team to a win. And that's when I really knew how tough Larry Bird really was, man. Because going into that fourth quarter, he only had 12 points. Yeah. He ended up with 34 for the night. You know, you're the bad man. So you've been philanthropic uh, a long time. You've helped with everything from pandemic to health mm -hmm. resources. Mm -hmm. people. What brings you to the work of helping? Um, because you were well, a superstar. Superstars mm -hmm. usually have to be so self-consumed because they have to focus on being the tip of the spear right. that they aren't helpers. You've been a helper in Atlanta since you were on the team here. Right. And post-team, and now working mm -hmm. within the organization, mm -hmm. you still have been helpful. Well, it's very simple for me. Growing up, you know, uh, with eight brothers and sisters, my mom raised eight of us by herself. Mm -hmm. and, and I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. And I remember when I was 12, I had this playground legend. And I, for some reason, he saw something in me. Yeah. And he said, I want you to come to Boys Club every day. I'm going to teach you the game, and I'm going to teach you the right way. And you're going to owe me. And at 12, I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. He said, the only thing I want from you is to give to someone else what I'm about to give to you. And that's the way I've lived my life all these years because it gave me the courage to leave home when I was 16. And I never looked back. I, I, I caught a Greyhound bus to North Carolina and got discovered on the playground the next morning. Wow. And so it was because of his tutelage that I was able to have that confidence to leave home. Wow. You have been, and just, so this is from the hip hop side. Mm -hmm. Man, you've been fresh my whole life. <laughs> Let me tell you something, man. You've been, I, I've, you even made me go out and buy a pair of Brooks. <laughs> I was never in the Brooks shoes. You yeah, had yeah, me yeah. on the Brooks. But you have been one of the most well-tailored, well-dressed. I remember the time in Atlanta where you and Deion Sanders and MC Hammer and Tusha, everybody was just here at one time and fresh mm -hmm. and styling. Mm -hmm. But you got refused to go in a restaurant that I will never name. Say, you want you me to name it? No, we ain't gonna name <laughs> no, them we ain't chumps. Gonna name. Yeah, we ain't here no chumps. No, just like Larry. No, Bird no, we don't want to get, we don't get them pulled. Yeah, 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 that's but, true. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but you, as a as a sixty year old man at, at this point, someone essentially has apartheid was happening in Atlanta. Well, when you were born in this mm -hmm. country, mm -hmm. you've endured. And, 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 and through racism, you've come out, you've become mm -hmm. a superstar, you've put a city on the map. That a city you put on the map, a chump restaurant want to tell you you can't come in. What right. was that like? What happened right. post that? And what do you advise us to do as younger right. blacks in terms of asserting ourselves and our right. rights? You know what? I've never experienced anything quite like that. And, you know, I'm one of those guys, you know, if you know me, I don't get involved in a whole lot of different stuff. You don't hear me uh, see my name involved with things that's, that's, you know, questionable or anything like that. So for me to come out and comment on something that happened, you know, it had to be really bad. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 the sad part about it that I was pretty well dressed when I went in there along with a friend of mine. And so when we went in, they looked me up and down. And I said, wow, that's a little strange. And I remember them saying, you know, we can't seat you. 
because we don't have any reservation now. There's nobody hardly in the restaurant. Nobody. It's 2 o'clock, and even lunch is almost over. And I remember two white guys walked up, and they had shorts on, T-shirts, and sneakers. And they said, sirs, we'll see you in a minute. And I'm looking at I'm like, are you, you joking? And he said, we're trying to keep a level of ele uh, elegance in our dining room. And I said, what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> and I was so hot, I just walked away, yeah. right? And then a friend went back and she said, what is your criteria of what's casual and what's not? And they said, we just can't see them. And she said, I don't think you understand what you just did. Yeah. And that's how it all happened. But what I want people to understand is that we got to continue to hold people accountable for doing stupid things. Yeah. You know, because there's no room for that type of, you know, attitude yeah. anywhere, particularly in our city. Yeah. You know, a city that I've been to every restaurant and got treated like family. Absolutely. And then you have these strangers come into town. Right. And, and I'm not the only one that's done that. I'm just the only one who really talked about Absolutely. it. And they wanted to give me an apology, but they want to give it to me privately. I said, no way. No, sir. I said, you know, I said, I don't need you to give me an apology. I don't need an apology from you. Yeah. I need you to apologize to people who look like me. Absolutely. And we got to stop spending our dollars in establishments like that because you have an obligation to take care of your patrons, especially Absolutely. when they're paying their money. It's fact. What do you think about players' rights now, and what advice do you give younger players coming up? I think it's great that players have rights now, because they have a lot of rights in where their future should go more so than we had, mm -hmm. you know. And that's why you see guys traveling different, from different teams, because now you have a little more control yeah. of where you want to be, where you want to go, and kind of dictate where you see your life. Yeah. Back when we played, we, we didn't have the ability to do so. I applaud these guys what they've been able to create and change. Yeah. But on the other side of it, when you're paid to provide a service, you have an obligation to get out and perform. I don't care if you like that organization or not. Yeah. Or your teammate, because I had teammates, we didn't like each other, but we respected each other. Yeah. There's a difference. So I think you have a moral obligation to play, yeah. no matter what. And you see the stuff that's going on now with you know Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. Yeah. I mean, okay, look, I'm not going to question you know, your thoughts and, and, and things of that nature, but. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We are paid to provide a service, yeah. you know. And if you look at the NBA, probably over 95% of the NBA have been vaccinated. Why aren't you vaccinated? Why aren't you going to practice, Ben Simmons? Or why, when you go to practice, you're in a world by yourself where your team is over here practicing? You can't do that. You can't do that. That's not what basketball is about. And so I, I, I'm very proud of these guys, what they've been able to change and accomplish to control their, their own destinies. But it's still an old school mentality that says you still got to perform. Yeah. I want to thank you for coming to talk um, love and respect with me. I want to thank you for what you did on the court as a child that mm -hmm. inspired people like me and real basketball players like oh, Aaron Dollar. But I want to thank you more for what you did in my community. Outside of a basketball court, um, before rappers were generally in the neighborhood mm -hmm. shaking hands with people, you were, I saw you and met your old national. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you were kind enough just to speak to kids. You, um, you've always been available to this city. You've always given more of yourself than was asked and sometimes deserved. I'd like to appreciate you for that and appreciate you for gracing my show. Oh, and I the hope pleasure is mine, man. You know, I, I, you know, I 
kind of grew up as an adult in those neighborhoods. I used to live off of Old National. Yeah, I used to live know. off of Cascade. <laughs> so I was in the community. So those people around the, the people around the city, period, are very special to me. Oh, yeah. So I appreciate you. Love man. and respect you immensely. Love and respect, man. Man. Yes, sir. No doubt. Absolutely. Dr. Kimberly Manning is a professor of medicine and associate chair of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Emory University Department of Medicine. Dr. Manning, nice to have you here. Nice to be here. Thank you nice for coming on Love and Respect. Thank you for having me. We have a few things that cross-section that we kind of have yeah. in common. We're yeah. both very familiar with Tuskegee. Very much so. The, the place and the university. That's there. right. My family is from Tuskegee. My great-grandparents were sharecroppers that worked their way um, to owning their own land. We still mm. have 25 acres of farmland mm. down there. My grandmother's biggest dream was for me to go to Tuskegee <laughs> University. Booker T. Washington was an icon in the house. I ended up going to Morehouse okay. instead, but I wore the right hoodie. I appreciate today. that. And I appreciate with, that. Without being asked, you wore the right sweater. I did. I did. Well, it's always in my heart, you know, but uh, today I decided to put it on externally. So I'm um, feeling it. And my family also has a connection to Tuskegee. Mm -hmm. um, I'm one of four. Mm -hmm. um, all four of us went to Tuskegee. Wow. Um, my parents met at Tuskegee. My grandparents, my maternal grandparents met at Tuskegee, and my maternal great-grandmother went to Tuskegee. Wow. Yeah, so we have a long history there. My mom grew up, born and raised in Tuskegee, Alabama, and um, yeah, it's a big part of us. You being in, in medicine mm -hmm. means a lot because we were so underserved and underrepresented. Mm -hmm. I've heard stories from former teachers of when we didn't have doctors or dentists to go to. Yep. You'd have to go to these ad hoc places yep. almost to go. Um, my first doctor, my pediatrician, was Dr. Otis Smith, mm. who was from Atlanta, went to Morehouse, mm -hmm. and became the first pediatrician. So I understand the importance of black doctors. So yeah. Dr. Manning, thank you yeah. just for going into medicine, I got to say. I want to do an experiment because okay. I mean, we don't have as much time as I've had okay. with some other guests. All right. You do something interesting in that you work with a hospital that I was born at, Grady Hospital. Oh, you're a Grady baby. I am a Grady baby. Aww. Yeah, man. No, I got all the Royalty. Grady yeah. babies are royalty. 16-year-old girl okay. decided she wanted to have a baby. Okay. <laughs> and, okay. and my mother brought me in the world in Grady, and I thank them because she went into some type of trauma having me. Mm. God for a minute on the table. They pulled me out with forceps. Sunglasses still don't fit my head right. <laughs> but you sit at a desk there. Yep and engage people with yep. medical questions. Yep. You. Now, you look like my neighbor. Uh. You look like, you look like the, 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 the slick fly lady I see at the uh. store. So you're, you, you're easily approachable and talk to. So I want to do an experiment of sorts. Okay, okay, let's do it. Total truth. This is not, this is not, um, it's not fiction. Okay. My great-grandfather's father was a part of the Tuskegee experiment. I'm sorry. Big part of the reason my family, even though they produced a ton of nurses, mm -hmm. has not been pro-vaccine in our life is because of that. Yeah. I don't remember getting three vaccines my whole life. And that's with wow. Dr. Otis Smith and my pediatrician. Wow. My grandmother just, she had an aversion to it. We do a religious exemption. Now we're at a time where there's a real crisis in this yeah. pandemic. Yep. And the people most affected by it often look like me. Yep. So I'm going to be that person. I'm sitting at your desk at Grady now. Mm -hmm. And... I need you to convince me that it's the best thing to do. So okay. I'm going to start off. My name's Michael Render. Hello, Michael. Hey, my great-grandfather's father was involved in Tuskegee Experiment, mm. and I don't trust these white folks of the government. Mm. Why mm. should I get a vaccine, mm. and why should we get it first? Why they don't have anything free for us like diabetes medicine or free high blood pressure medicine? Yeah. Why is this free and everything not? And what do I have to gain from it? For sure. You know, we, we spend so much time talking about how all the science is real and everything, but mm. the history is real, too. 
and I'm really sorry for what your family experienced. Thank and it makes absolute sense that you feel nervous about being vaccinated. And it sounds like you've thought a lot about this. Mm -hmm. Listen, Michael, I am not looking to convince you to be vaccinated. I'm looking to convey some information to you um, that may be helpful as you kind of think about what you want to do and what's best for you and your family, yes. okay? So, Michael, tell me, um, you already mentioned that your family's lived experience is part of what has you the most nervous. Is there anything else in particular that you worry about? Well, I mean, I'm a big guy, so mm -hmm. I know I'm not in the best shape. Okay. So I want to do it because I want to be here for my wife. I want to be mm. here for my kids. Mm. But with that said, if it hasn't properly been vetted out, I kind of feel like a guinea pig, to be honest, or, yeah. or, or a crash test dummy. I feel as though black bodies are being used to mm -hmm. see how it'll work. Yeah. And if it works well enough on us, the good batches will go to the north side of town and the experimental batches go to the south side. Yeah. That could just be my paranoia, but that is honestly my paranoia. I think paranoia is an unfair word to use yeah. for this because, um, you know, again, history is real. Yeah. We've read books like Medical Apartheid and seen the things that have happened to our people over yeah. the years. But I want to share a few things with you. Um, one of the things I want to share with you is that there were black people that were properly investigated in the studies of the vaccines. Now, what happened in Tuskegee um, or in Macon County, Alabama, where yeah. this all happened was that individuals were denied treatment for syphilis, right? Yeah. Um, they weren't given syphilis. They were denied treatment for syphilis, which is a little bit different than what's happening right now, which is we're giving people vaccines. Yeah. I want to tell you, no joke, since we're being honest here, yeah. one of the people enrolled in the study is me. I just left one of my vaccine appointments um, where I was one of the people that I enrolled in the study. And let me tell you, because I wanted to be able to look in the faces of people who look like me and you. I wanted to sit down. I wanted to go through that consent process that our ancestors were not offered the opportunity to have. Yeah. And I wanted to ask all the questions with all of them strapped on my back saying, what would they have asked? What would they have wanted to know about this? Yeah. So back in July, before we even had emergency use authorization, Michael, I was one of the people that was enrolled. What I'll tell you is that if you look at risk and benefit, the risk of something happening to you from the vaccine, it may be something that could happen. But the risk of something happening to you if you get COVID is so much higher. And not just death, but disability too. And I think when I'm talking to a black man, black men are like, I could die any day. Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean die? Yeah. But you got a family. And if something interrupts you being able to care for your family, come and go as you please, talk as you want to talk, walk as you want to walk, that could have been prevented. I'm going to feel pretty dumb if that happens. Well, not dumb, but just well, regret. I don't, yeah, but just, just regret. No, I would. I would, yeah. I would feel me, just yeah. as Michael. Not, you know, not as an example, but I would feel. I'd, I'd feel, I feel like I made, I made a wrong or selfish decision based on having a wife and four children. And that's just for me. That's not for anyone. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a used car salesperson. No shade to used car salespeople. But, yeah. so I'm not here to try to get you to sign on the line today. I'm not on commission or anything. This is about us. So I could walk away. You could walk away. I don't away. have to get it. You're not going to judge me. No, I'm not. I'm planting a seed. And the same way when somebody gets COVID, they yeah. could spread it to six people. Yeah. If I tell you factual information, you might walk away and say, I met this black woman at Grady Hospital that was sitting at a table talking to me. And she was in the study and her people from Tuskegee. Yeah. And you know what she told me? She told me this, 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 and this. What if you then get six more people to feel confident mm -hmm. and they get six more? Mm -hmm. So we always talk about all the negatives. But, you know, I'm an optimist, and I think there is nothing more powerful than black people loving on black people. 
honestly and like in the most real way. And I think people receive that. That's why I'm sitting at that table. I really hope yeah. that our people are listening to you. Yeah. I really hope that each person who's had a conversation to have a conversation like I've had to you today really hears you in their mind and their heart. And I really hope the best for our people because you are proof that when raised confident, we are competent to do anything. Mm. I want to appreciate you for coming on Love and Respect for Killer Mike and engaging me lovingly and respectfully, and I hope I've reflected that to you too. Yeah. And with that said, I just want to thank my Tuskegee legacy, Miss Betty, for raising me. That's for, right. That's in big part for getting me here today. Thank that's you right. so much, Dr. Man. It's been a privilege. Absolutely. It has been my privilege. <laughs>